up, y'all? Hey, folks. Welcome to this most unbelievable podcast. We are your hosts, Paul Fitzgerald. And Sherry Spiegel. You're listening to season two, our first summer season. For the next few months, we'll take a look at a thread we began last season in our Rates of Things episode. We'll take several episodes to explore how we process and experience things. First in the body. Then in the mind. And finally, and most challengingly, in the heart. We would love your feedback, so please feel welcome to leave us a comment or a question on the Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Or you can send us an email at thepaulandsherrypod at gmail.com. Of course, you can also find all of this on our website, thismostunbelievablelife.com. Please subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS so you'll never miss a show. And if you like the show, we'd appreciate your rating on iTunes. Or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out, too. We're so glad you're joining us on this journey. And on with the show. Press. Boom. Hey, Sherry, what is going on? Hey, Paul. How's it going? It's going very, very, very well. Very well. I think. It's good to be recording with you. It's been a bit. It's been a little while. It has. It has. How long has it been? Two weeks? Has it been two weeks? Maybe not. We recorded on a Thursday. I think we knew we were going to go through withdrawal. A week and a half, yeah. So, yeah, about a week and a half. Yeah, Yeah, our listeners might forgive us until uh, we get back into our rhythm, but I don't think it's going to be... I don't think it's going to be hard to do, so... Well, they don't know the difference because we're still putting something out every Tuesday. So, yeah, maybe we just shouldn't have said anything. (laughs) It's really, (laughs) Everything would be fine, yeah. Yeah, it's mostly between us. Like, I missed recording with you. Yeah, it's been a little while since yeah. Sherry and I have actually sat down and had a had a chat with a microphone on. So uh, I know. we took a week off. I'm sort of taking a week off next week, but we'll probably still record, I think, like with 99.999, which is really 100% assurity. We'll yeah. record next week. Yeah. Um, how was it for you to take a week? And so just to cue people in, Sherry took a week. Not, it wasn't a week. It was a couple of days. Well, um, and you sort of skipped out of your apartment and stayed uh, somewhere else for a couple of days to get a little change of scenery. It's true. Well, so my husband had the whole week off um, from his job. That's where I'm getting a week from. Yeah, yeah, that's Eric, where you're getting Eric the week. The so week we off, had. Yeah. So we originally were just going to have a staycation, um, but in a lot of ways, every day is a staycation for me because I never leave this house. Thank you, COVID. Um, so we decided. Uh, our anniversary was last Wednesday, uh, 15 years of marriage. Whoop, whoop. Whoop. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So we decided, I think he, after a couple of days being stuck in the same four walls that I have been stuck in, was starting to get cooped up. So he was like, let's do a thing. So we just checked into a hotel two miles from our house. So you, uh, you Ubered there and you walked back. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because on the way there we had uh, we had bottles of of beverages, Thanks. and on the way home we had. <laughs> you, there were not. You did not have bottles of, of beverages. Said true. bottles had been utilized for their intended purpose. Yeah. Well, we did go to the ABC store, so truth be told, we just swapped one bottle for another. But right, yes, it was a lighter trip on the way home. Um, but yeah, so we checked into a hotel overlooking the water, which, uh, as Paul knows, will. Being close to the water is my happy place. It is. Uh, it is. Yeah. So I basically got to spend 
uh, most of Thursday just hanging out next to a window watching sailboats. You were saying that. Were it's saying beautiful. That. It's beautiful. So, yeah, getting away is important. Um, I think little breaks, little changes in routine remind you, in some ways, why you like the routine you have, I think. Yeah. Um, and I was just going on about this with, I don't know, it might have been, I think it was with you this morning in the meditation group. Hmm. Um, that when all of this started, and I guess what I mean by that is, you know, CDC declared a pandemic and we started to kind of shift to online teaching and the mask thing started to sort of happen. That was what the second week of March on that Wednesday, I was in Newport, Rhode Island, literally in spring break, you know, you know, quite a ways from here, just kind of doing a spring break thing. And uh, that is uh, that's the last time I, I pretty much slept anywhere outside of outside of where I am here in mm-hmm. in the condo. And um, I love our condo. I like our neighborhood. We have paths and we have trees and we have all kinds of good stuff. I am going insane. It's like I'm. I'm it's like I. It's and it's not that if I don't take a vacation somewhere every couple of months that I'm going to have some um, hyper-privileged problem or something like that. It's like I haven't been to the office. I haven't been to these other places I used to go. I haven't been to restaurants. I haven't been Mm -hmm. anywhere. It's like I just need different walls around me for a little bit. And so, yeah, next week we're we're taking off and we're going out to the Shenandoah Valley um, for a bit. And we're going to do the same things there that we do here. We're going to cook some food and we're going to sleep and we're going to walk around in the woods and we're going to to sort of do our thing. We'll record a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's going to be different walls in a different place with different surroundings. Um, and God, that sounds glorious. It's like, where do you want to go? It's like, I don't care. I literally don't care. It's like, <laughs> yeah. as long as it's somewhere where the angles are different, where the doors are in different places, that has different square footage, that has different trees around it, mm-hmm. that has, you know, a yeah. different grocery store that I'm going to go to, as long as there's that. Oh, yeah. I'm happy. It's I, I, it's not a vacation that I need. It's variance. It's variety. Yeah, we do need variety. I mean, it's interesting. So the other thing that is different for me is even where I'm recording from. This mm-hmm. Yeah, you moved. Yeah, you're. I moved. We orged. Yeah, so I reorganized our bedroom. I don't know. Maybe when was that, Paul? Like a week, week and a half ago. Something like that. Um, I had for a couple weeks I'd been promising Eric he wouldn't come home to discover the furniture in new places, and then at some point that became a lie. Presto, yeah. Yeah. Um. So I reorganized our bedroom. Um. Basically, just for the same, like, just to experience something different in our bedroom. Um. And part of it was so that we could move a chair into the bedroom, and also so I could buy the desk that I'm now sitting at. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's, it feels, it feels like everything I needed. Like, I now feel like, one, I feel like I have an office. Like, so this morning I was like, I had coffee at the table with my husband and then he left and he went to work and I came in here and closed the door and it was like, I went to work. Nice. And then this afternoon I will emerge from my workplace and re-engage. A job well done today yes. at work, you know, and yeah. you know, off the um, clock. Off the clock, Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, just something about like a little bit of change 
helps shake things up. Helps. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what it is about like our biology or our evolution or something that makes us need variance and change. But boy, you don't yeah, realize I don't know. it. Yeah, I don't until know. It's gone. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know mm-hmm. either. Um, that's a good question. I've never really thought about it. Um, we should ask a biologist. Yeah, if we only had one here, that would really <laughs> be great. Uh, you have other great. specialties, like <laughs> right? Sherry's random not, questions. I did not study not... that when I was in school for yeah. biology. You had a screen uh, behind you earlier, and that is that has made an exit. It did well. It um, one of those folding screens used to be right behind you, right? It, and, yes. Yesterday, I put it directly yesterday. behind me, and then it felt. I felt really claustrophobic. And I've seen a lot of people do this. Like uh, a friend of ours that we're in another group with, yeah. like she uses She's a screen right behind her. And I love the look of it. But um, I felt like something ominous was like towering over me. Um, so you can actually see the screen. I moved it this morning or last night. It is mm. now becoming a sunshade blocking out oh, the cool. window. Sunshade slash headboard. Neat. situation so Very yeah cool. so it's still there yeah cool. but uh yeah <sighs> yeah so yeah i i originally had so it's so funny i mean these this I, you know i'm searching for a way of being that is comfortable i think so i'm in the second bedroom here in this condo and that's where essentially after all of this started i sort of ran the show from so i was teaching mm-hmm. class out of there i was which was sort of my I don't want to call it a man cave by any stretch, um, where all my weird stuff is. Your Paul Pod? Yeah, the Paul Pod. Um, and uh, I just got tired of that, of that room. So I moved the desk and the computer and the two monitors, the two big monitors and everything downstairs. Um, just because it's like, I got to get out of this place and I got to see somewhere different. So um, we moved the TV in front of the fireplace, but it's, you know, middle of summer. So I was like, going to use it. And it's like, I just got to get out of this room. Um, and where am I now? I'm in this room. So I put a different table in here, right? I got my laptop and a little bit of a different setup. It feels better though. It's a different relationship with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I can sort of split my time between some other places, but still it's like, I got to get out of this place or I'm going to go nuts. So, um, well, and you're, you're doing a different kind of work in that room versus what you're doing at your desk. That's true. That's true. That's very true. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I, it's interesting how just switching up where and how you're doing your work can change things. Um, so we both recently did a little writing on typewriters. Uh, we did. Yeah. We did. Why'd you break out the typewriter, Paul? I don't know. I mean, that, that question has a prequel to it. I mean, I guess the prequel is why did I buy this typewriter? So that wasn't that long ago. That was, God, last summer, I guess. Last summer, maybe. Uh, We were in southern Missouri visiting in-laws and uh, looking for something to do with uh, my father-in-law. And uh, this is, I mean, this is southern Missouri, this is Houston, South Arala, you know, down 63 outside of West Plains. Almost, You're almost to Arkansas at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the consignment shop had an Olivetti, uh, Olivetti Laterra 22 for 15 bucks sitting in it. And I was like, 
do they know that this is like <laughs> one of the most classic, you know, iconic? I mean, there's there's one of these in the Met in New York. They have an Olivetti Letera 22 as a design champ, is a champion of design. So I grabbed that, you know, and it's it's got a couple of little screws and little widgets kind of swapped out. Um, it's missing a, a spring that holds one of the tab stops in place. So I shoved half of the shell of a sunflower seed in there. And it turns out it does just fine. Um, you can still buy the ribbons. I mean, Olivetti's is still an ongoing concern. So um, you can buy the ribbons on on Amazon. So I just kind of cleaned it up a little bit. Um, it's got a couple little... Um, I don't know what happened to it. It's got a couple little scratches on it. You know, a little wear on some of the paint. Yeah. Um, but, you know, here's 15 bucks, Sherry. I mean, what are you going to do? Say no to that? My God. It's this perfectly functional typewriter uh, for 15 bucks. Classic design. Um, and fool with it and you fool with it and fool with it. And it's kind of fun. It's kind of cute. And um, I thought it was a fun addition to my uh, lifestyle because I'm sort of a fountain pen. I like to find the most complicated ways to do something and, and do it that way. The more old school, the better. Uh, for I don't know what, what that is. Um, why use a big pen when a fountain pen could work? Why use a fountain pen when a typewriter can work? Why use a typewriter when a dip pen made out of a goose feather that you find on the side of the road could work, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know. And it, it sits there and it's it's never too far away. But it's only been recently that I've started putting paper in this and actually knocking out. Mm -hmm. Uh you can't call it digital content. It is uh, analog content, right? Um, and uh, I've talked, I talked about this in the last blog or the one before that, maybe two before that actually, that I started doing a couple of audio blogs because I was feeling a little blocked mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, or, or I think what I talked about in the last one is resistance, right? Writer's resistance or something yeah. like that. Um, and for some reason, I get this typewriter out and I put a piece of paper in it, out it comes. Mm -hmm. So who am I to argue? Who am I to understand it? If the universe wants me to write with a 1950s Italian typewriter? Yeah. Who am I, I to say no? You know, who am I to say no? Yeah. What's so funny to me about that is that I think this points to something that I see as being a trend with you, is that you will you will be drawn to things that you will purchase without knowing why you're collecting it. <laughs> and you are perfectly comfortable with that, it seems. Like, just trusting the fact that the use or the purpose or whatever that the thing's going to provide you is going to come later, and you're just whatever. So it's yeah, funny to me, yeah. um, just imagining you at this place trying to, like, deciding to purchase this thing. Um because it feels like you were probably just 100% in on oh, this Oh, absolutely. Thing. Yeah. So it's like, nope, we're going home with that. 15 bucks. What? I mean, if it would have yep. been 30 bucks, I'd have paid 30 bucks for it, you know? Right. If it yeah. was 50 so bucks, just... I would have paid 50 bucks for it. You know, it's like, wow, 15 bucks. So it's not that it was cheap. It's like I, it's like I already own this thing. This is already mine. I'm just going to go through the convenience of purchase. Right. Yeah. 100%. So it's yeah. 100%. So that's interesting. You just knew it had to be yours. Yeah. Or it already was. And work out the details. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that uh, I had said in the past, I haven't had too much opportunity to say it lately, um, just out of proximity to people is, oh, it's already happened. We already just have to go through the inconvenience of it actually waiting for it to, 
waiting for it to go. It's already 100%. It's like it already happened. We just have to wait for it to... Our listeners can't see me rolling my eyes at you as you say that because I have heard this. I've heard this before. Uh, he's not wrong when he says it. It's yeah. just annoying. Um, yeah. Um, well, I, I like that I was able to connect that up with the idea of 100% because... Mm-hmm. Today's theme. Out, that's what we're talking about today. Um but before we get into what we're 100% on and not 100% on, I will say that because I was, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to call it jealous because I was inspired by your typewriter experience. I did break my own out this morning. I saw. Which isn't actually a fair, like breaking it out is actually kind of a wrong assessment. It's been out. It's been on display. Yeah, it's been present. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh-huh. It's beautiful typewriter. And it is beautiful. I have had it uh, for over a decade. Um, it was given to me as a Valentine's Day present um, about 10 or 11 years ago. Um, 2010, actually. I remember now. Um, and what's funny, and one of the things I thought about as I wrote with it this morning, is when I first got it, I really, really struggled with writing anything on it. Um, It was almost as though I did not feel worthy of it. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I would spend a lot of time, like I would put a sheet of paper in and I would spend time trying to learn, like, how do I set the margins? How do I adjust things? There's a learning curve. Right? Yeah. So I would, I would learn that kind of stuff. And then the only thing I could, once I got the paper all set up, the only thing that would pop into my head is that scene in The Shining, you know. All work and no play. All work and no play. Make sure you're a dull girl. (laughs) Um, But I would just get totally frozen. Um, And so today when I was typing in it, and it just felt so, like, today when I was writing with it, it felt like this thing had always been my typewriter. And it Mm. felt like, I mean, it felt... Smooth and just fun. It just, like, it felt so playful, right? Like, it was just, oh, it was beautiful. But before, I remember sitting there and just feeling like I wasn't worthy of this thing, that I couldn't, I couldn't spell well enough to write on it. Um, and like, just, and I didn't have anything worthy of saying with Mm -hmm. this thing. But uh, we've been doing this Artist Way group for, for I guess, nine weeks now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're breaking into t- week 10 now. And so I'm doing artist pages. So I'm writing three pages a day, every day. And all of a sudden, like, I wrote my morning pages, whatever. And then I sat down with this typewriter. And I just started knocking stuff out. And it was, like, a, a little bit like morning pages. Like, you know, writing isn't as dangerous as I often think it is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, um, what an interesting observation. Like, from a writing teacher, I've been teaching writing for almost 15 years. And yet, the one thing in my life that I'm most afraid of is my own writing. Um, But this morning, I just played with it. And I don't remember the last time I just let myself play with writing. Yeah, that is so interesting. Because you know how all of this started was back in January or February, my own, you know, teacher slash mentor, Clea, um, 
when I told her that I was having a, a, a tough time getting my 20 or 30 minutes of meditation in a day, she said, why don't you try an hour? Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? And, and sort of that, that's how that whole thing started. And it, it, it took immediately. It's like if you have writer's block and you're having a hard time getting, getting blogs posted or anything written on your word processor on your fancy laptop, well, obviously, use a typewriter where the consequences are higher, where there's no autocorrect, where there's no take backs. It's like once that ink's on that page, it's not coming off. It's yeah. like you have a hard time writing on your on your laptop where it's so the the letters are worth nothing and they're so easy to revise. Obviously, use a typewriter. <laughs> use yeah. a typewriter and it's like I don't understand that, but that's twice now that that's worked, you know? Uh, it's do it, yeah. more, do it in a more difficult way with more consequences, and, and that, that'll change it, you know? Right. Well, it's kind of, um, yeah, I think the other way I think about this, I, um, I think I was talking this morning about, in 2016, I was cooking through Anthony Bourdain's Lay yeah. Hall cookbook, which is not an easy cookbook. I no, mean, it's classic French bistro, yeah. yeah. This is Anthony Bourdain teaching you how to make, you know... Cocoa Ven and yeah. bechamel sauce. Um, and I really think, like, if you want to learn how to cook, like, go do the hard stuff. Do the like, hard stuff. Make a hollandaise every day. And then, you know, cooking a chicken will feel cooking like... chicken, yeah, nothing. Yeah, the rest of it, yes, I don't know. Um, yeah, do the hard stuff first. But that's what you're supposed to do with, like, getting your agenda done for the day, too. It right? is. Yeah, it is. Do the hard stuff first and learn by doing the hard stuff. Yeah. You don't have to ease yourself into these things, you know? And maybe that's what this is. I mean, maybe that's what that does. You know, why, when you have writer's block, should you just go to a typewriter instead of a word processor? Why, when you're trying to, you know, up your your meditation game or your rigor of your practice, go from a 20-minute that you can't do to an hour that you can it forces you to find a way to make it 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, true. okay, you can't do it. If it's 50%, make it 100% and see if you can navigate a way, negotiate a way for yourself to make it go. Mm-hmm. So um, your job is not to write a, you know, a one page paper on your, on Microsoft Word or Google Documents or whatever. Your job is to write a two page paper on a 50 or 70 year old typewriter. You have to be at 100% to do that. And if you're at 100%, you will do it. You will do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. Yeah. Um, I also think, you know, in addition to... uh, So this thing that I wrote this morning on my typewriter will probably turn into a blog. I was hoping because it's a beautiful picture you took. Yeah. So our listeners... (laughs) When you see the pictures, like that looks like the photo that goes with a blog. Yeah, it's a, you're yeah. not wrong. So yeah. Yeah, the seeds are already planted. It's yeah, it's coming. It's going to be an interesting one. But the blog that I'm going to post before that is actually one I haven't finished writing, but I've been writing it entirely on my cell phone. Um, that blew just, my mind when you said little, that. I know. I told you that. that the other, blew my what, mind. Yesterday? It was like your writing is on your cell phone. God. But it's 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 kind of a similar kind of mental uh, trick because. Sitting down at a keyboard in front of my laptop and a blank page, that feels like we're writing, right? But I do so many of these, like, small, short notes to myself on my phone that I'm like, I'm not writing a blog post. I'm just going to take a couple of quick notes about a thing that I could write about in a blog post. Um, And then next thing I know, I have a blog post um, 
that I just, you know, have to port over to Squarespace and pop it up there. Yeah, knock up. Yeah. Yeah. Put it up. Um, but there's something it, it, there's something interesting in the little games I play with myself. Like we're not writing a blog. No, no. This is we're not a blog. Write, <laughs> this is not a blog, right? Um, this is not a pipe. This is not. A... <laughs> right? Yeah. It, or um, you know, I'm not writing a blog. I'm just writing an email to my friend Paul. Oh, yeah. You know, I haven't tried yeah, that one, yeah. but I bet it would work. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. You can try it. Mm. Um, yeah, so, you know, doing these things in ways, because, yeah, that, that is interesting, because, I mean, that blew my mind when you said you were writing that blog on your on your phone. I was like, what? I mean, I just couldn't imagine, but here I am using a typewriter, so, you know, what does that say? Not doing it the ways that are convenient, because, I mean, sitting down at a laptop with smooth action, you know, and soft keys with a Word document open in front of you or whatever, it would be very, very awesome if the words just flowed. Mm-hmm. If that were the case, how convenient would that be if you just had to copy and paste that over and you're good to go? But it doesn't seem to work that way. You know, you have to find a little resistance and inconvenience. Mm-hmm. I think that forces you to 100% on it. It's like, no, I'm going to do it, right? And because uh, 20 minutes a day of meditation, eh, you take it or leave it an hour. You got to be at 100% on that. You got to write a yeah. blog, write it on a word processor with on a laptop with fun action, you know, that's easy to do. Yeah, take it or leave it. The words are cheap. You can always, I mean, autocorrect fixes them for you half the time. Right. Typewriter, oh, you got to be at 100%. Um, yeah. I mean, it definitely, like, the on persistence your, on, on, your, on your phone, yeah, on your phone, right, to, to write the blog on your phone. You know, you got to be at 100%. It's not as convenient, and that gives it a little more intentionality and a little bit of meaning. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think... If you're going to do it in one of these platforms, like, I think it's interesting how the modality you choose in some ways can point to the amount of dedication. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're, I mean, if you're mm-hmm. sitting down with a typewriter, you mean business, right? Because you're not going to It looks act- like you mean business. It sounds like you mean business. He's typing. He upstairs. You can hear it, you know. Right. That's the whole th- this morning as I was typing, I was like, I wonder I'm going to write to my downstairs neighbor later and be like, did you hear the typewriter going this morning? Because. <laughs> wham, wham. Um, clack, clack. Yeah. It's, oh. We should record each other's uh, typewriters because I'm curious what yours sounds like. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah totally. Uh, do a little audio, audio sampling. Um yeah. Yeah, but I yeah, I think once you sit down with the typewriter, I it feels very definitive. Like this is writing. Mm-hmm. 100%. 100%. Yeah. yeah. That's the way people did it for years. And you have to have paper. And it's like, what paper should I use? Should I use printer paper? Should I get some other fancy paper? I mean, a more intentional device means I need to have more intentional paper, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Right. So I cracked out this box of manuscript paper that I've had for 20 years, 15 years, and it's like, I'm going to use that. You're really going all in. Well, and then then what I do, you know, thankfully technology, right? Once I get the thing written, I go downstairs on the scanner copier, right? The little, you know, brother, you know, Best Buy one that we have. And it does a pretty good job of scanning it and converting the type into a text document. It still requires significant cleanup afterwards because I don't think yeah. it knows what to do with 1950s font all yeah. the time. The L and the, the lowercase L and the one are the same, right? There's right. not a one. Yep. Number same one, the on L. Is, yeah, yeah, lowercase L is supposed to take the place. There's not a, there's a zero. Yeah, there is a zero, but there's not the, the one. There's not so. an exclamation point. Or, yeah, I you got to do the period and backspace and then do the 
apostrophe. Yeah, yeah, apostrophe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> space saving, space saving in these in these times. But yeah, yeah, it's pretty interesting. So um, yeah. on that blog, I posted both the the, uh, the text file right that it was able to get and clean up, and I, for those who were into punishment, posted the typo ridden. X, well, Xed out, ugly version of a PDF scan of the actual paper itself. I, I think I'll do it again for a little interested. while. I mean, it's, it's working, so why screw that? Yeah, know. I would be interested to know, of the people who read that blog, how many people immediately scrolled past all that fancy typing and went to the PDF. Because that's exactly what I did when you told me about it. I was like, cool, cool, all the text is here. Scroll, scroll, scroll. I want that read. PDF. Yeah, yeah. It takes no effort. Yeah. I want the authentic, original. Interesting. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I, you know, I think one of the things that that post of yours does that's very important is it allows us to embrace ourselves, typos and all. And this is what it is. This is how the sausage gets made, by the way. You know, it ain't yeah. pretty. Well, and for a long time, I used to think that typos were directly correlated to intelligence, right? So. If I had typos and things, I automatically thought like, oh, goodness, I am the dumbest human alive. And there's a lot of evidence that I am not actually the dumbest human alive. There is. There is. Uh-huh. There is a lot of evidence. And there's that. also a lot of evidence that very intelligent people make typos. So it's, mm-hmm. so that was one of the things I appreciated about that post. Yeah, I mean, that's how it looks. You know, if anybody thinks you have to do anything perfectly without flaw, without struggle in order to get something out there, I assure you, you do not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, the editing and revising process is an amazing thing. Yeah. Um, and if nothing else, I think there's value in seeing what the actual version looks like compared to what the cleaned up, revised, edited text version looks like. Um, Mm -hmm. And I know that uh, one of our mutual friends did also read the the PDF version of it. Um, It's like, I like the grit, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's gritty. It's like, yeah, it's gritty, all right. It's gritty. (laughs) It's gritty, uh, that's for sure. that's how that's how it, it it actually looks. But isn't that true for most things? Mm-hmm. You know that that the authenticity is oftentimes a little bit gritty. You know, um, there was a, an episode. Speaking of um, Anthony Bourdain, mm-hmm. right? And his show. I don't know which one it was. It wasn't the cook. It might have been an. It's an older one. It might have been. I, don't th- I think it was a cook's tour. It might have, maybe it was no reservations. I don't know. He was in India. You know and. And, and uh, somebody was making him a curry in Rajasthan, you know. And they said, you know what the secret is, don't you? And he said, what? And he said, you have to burn it a little. You know, but but, but thin crust New York style pizza is the same way. You have to burn it a little. You know, mm-hmm. um, you have to burn it a little. That's how, yeah. that's how it gets good. The cheese, you have to burn it a little. Yeah. Well, it's one of the things I appreciate about his cookbook is that he acknowledges that the stuff he's walking through is hard. And that you're not going to be good at it initially. Um, and so his directions for the bechamel sauce, for example, tell you directly, you're going to screw it up. Um, yeah. Just be prepared for that. And, like, I think that's the only cookbook, like, 
brutally honest cookbook I've ever read that's just like, hey, these are the instructions, but what what is not accounted for is that there's a lot of struggle here. Um, mm-hmm. Like, what if we, what if, what if instructional materials in general got more honest about how yeah. all the places where this is, this is going to sound like we've got it all together, but it's only because we practice so long. Yeah. Right? The, like, the, yeah. The, the cookbook that I have that I get the most, that I've gotten the most use out of probably over the years. And I, I think I'm not alone in this is probably the, the, the cook's illustrated best recipe cookbook. Oh and, yeah. And those recipes are good. Uh, they work. They're perfect. They're not always easy. But they're a little too perfect sometimes because that's what that's what Cooks Illustrated does. It engineers the best outcome yep. it's on how science. to do these things. Yeah. And some of those recipes are three pages long. It's like um, for a good creme brulee, you have to get a blowtorch with exactly these specifications to it. <laughs> you know, it'll look like it's just right out of the, the, the traditionalists. Um, and... Which is great, and um, there's girl out your recipes in there, but they don't leave a lot of room for um, forgiveness. Yeah. For forgiveness. You know, they don't come straight out and say, you know what, you're going to screw this up. Yeah. It's like, okay, now go get your blowtorch and set it yeah. on this setting. And then... <laughs> well, and they don't, they, don't ad- they don't necessarily address all of context either. Like, they, don't. So, yeah, they don't. So what happens if your kitchen is too warm that day? What parts of the right. recipe fall right. apart? It's or... a pretty ideal yeah. uh, environment that they're cooking in there. Well, but that's what they... the TV show does, you know, right? Yeah, because they they cook in a lab environment. Yeah, right. We yeah. don't live in a lab environment. Like that's the thing, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ah, so interesting. So this episode. We discussed, and we've already mentioned a couple of times, 100%, 100%. 100%. Why are we talking about 100%, Paul? Oh, because we say yes to so many things that we just really don't want to do. And Not saying yes, and saying those things, saying yes to those things, and regretting it takes up time that we would rather be doing. Uh, rather be spending doing other things mm-hmm. um, that are more meaningful, that are more purpose, um, that are more intentional, that speak more to our purpose. Why did we say yes to this? And you mentioned this a little while ago. This might have been this morning as well. You know, your future self will appreciate it if you don't say yes to all these things that you really just don't want to do mm-hmm. because you're going to wonder while you're do- why did I say yes to this thing or who pressured me into doing this thing so uh it's one of the rules right and we've talked about one of my rules already which is never say never believe anything that your brain tells you in the middle of the night mm-hmm. another rule that we've adopted recently that you've had quite a run with lately mm-hmm. is um it's 100% yes or it's a no yeah yeah when somebody asks you for time or something? Mm-hmm. 100% yes or no. Um, and it's, you know, when you put that kind of a rule into your life, I think two things happen. One, you learn a lot about yourself. But I think, two, the universe gives you a lot of tests to see how dedicated you are to the rule. Yeah, to your rule and therefore to your sense of purpose to your yeah 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 so how do you paul when you are presented with an opportunity how do you know whether you're a 100 percent yes or whether you're more like 
an 85 or a 12? How do you know? Well, that's what I wrote down. That's the one question I wrote down on this pad of paper before we actually started this, which was how do you evaluate this? How do you ah! know when you're... <laughs> I wrote that down too. So how do you actually... Where's the gauge? Where's the gauge? Yeah. Right? Is this like a tire gauge or is this like a... A what, right? How do you know what 100% is like and what it's right. not? Right. Well, I asked um, you first, so. If you said yes to something and you regretted it when you were actually doing it, it wasn't 100%. So how did you feel? How did you feel when you said yes? Were you reluctant at the time? Um, you've said this before and I'm the same way. Uh, we love canceled plans. Mm-hmm. You know, when somebody, when somebody plans something and, and asks you if you want to go and you say, oh yeah, sure, I'll go. And then the time comes up and you're like, oh God, why did I say yes to that? You know, um, it shows up as this should be a surprise to no one uh, for me uh, in my body. It's like I, you get that general dis-ease, you know, a little discomfort a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. It's like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, sure, I guess I'll do it. No, that should have been a no. Mm-hmm. And not to shoot ourselves, but that should, probably should have been a no. You know, it's like, eh, if it's mm-hmm. not absolutely, this fits in with me, this fits in with my mission, that do I feel resistance to this? That's usually what I kind of come up with is, uh, do I feel resistant to this in any way in particular? Yeah. Uh, I just really don't want to do this. You know, it's got to be no. Mm-hmm. And but Paul, all this great stuff can come out of it. You might get up with this. This might be a good result out of it. You might get some, you know, notoriety or some kudos for this. It's still no. Mm-hmm. It's still no. None of those things are real. None of those yeah. things are real. They're possible yeah. outcomes. Um, alternatively, I can offer others. Hey, Paul, why don't you do this thing? And I'll say, yeah, sure, I'll do that. Oh, but Paul, what if you resent it? What if you hate it? What if you find out that it's the worst thing you ever did? What if it pulls you away from things you really want to do? Oh, I should answer no. So whenever somebody is at risk of saying no to something, a lot of times these alternatives uh, or or different outcomes are presented that convince you to say yes. You know, Mm -hmm. how about if you feel like saying yes, you know, you think about what the negative consequences that could be that drive you to no. Because um, there have been many things that I've said yes to that I'm just like, God, why did I agree to this? This yeah. feels like and, dying to me. And, you know, it's it's such a hard thing because, you know, I want to believe that all humans are basically good and well-intended and everything. But when you're looking at what people ask you to do or what people even invite you to be a part of um, and you look at their motivations... Um, I don't think people are necessarily, like, manipulative by nature, but when people are trying to convince other people to join some sort of work or to participate in some sort of initiative, um, people use their strongest persuasive rhetorical powers uh, to get people to act. And, you know, I, I sort of made a career, like, teaching rhetoric and teaching people how to know when someone is just manipulating your heart and yeah. or is just try you know they're pulling rank and that's why you feel like you should say yes um but like we have to be able to cut through like all of that stuff of like how yeah. does the how does the ask make me feel and how does uh you know who's asking me and ask what is the actual ask how yeah. does it relate to me? 
And how does the ask relate to them? Um, and like really parsing all that out is important, I think, before responding. It is. And I'm still trying to think about a framework to, I mean, I guess I don't really need to formalize this, but I'm still trying to think about what a framework look like for someone who is new to this on how to navigate that, you know? Um, yeah. I, well, I will say that for me, part part of it for what I'm working out for myself is fast no's and slow yeses. Mm. So. Please continue. <laughs> okay. Please, con <laughs> please go on. So if I, if I receive an invitation of some sort and my gut immediately says, don't do this. I don't think I have ever regretted turning something down too quickly. Mm -hmm. But I habitually regret saying yes to things too quickly. So I think if I feel like it's an enthusiastic yes, if it really is an enthusiastic yes, it will still be a yes tomorrow. Mm -hmm. um, Versus but, a no, which could be if it's yesterday, but it's no tomorrow. Yes, then that's informative. Then it's obviously a no. Right, yeah. right, yeah. Yeah, because I can get really swept up in, like, emotional stuff. Like, um, I can say yes to things because, you know, I, you know, I'm hyped up by something. This is why, like, times, you know, timeshare speeches work, right? Yeah, right. They get you in, they get you feeling good, they get you excited. The hype drives people to make a decision. Mm -hmm. And then when the hype is gone... There's nothing to sustain the choice. And you have to make that decision right then and there. Exactly. You know, because yeah. uh, if you if you wait a day, the price is going to go up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is the best deal you're going to get. So if you're going to say yes, you need to do it now. Right. And sign so, these papers, right? Yeah. So I think the more pressure there is for an immediate response, the less capable I feel to say yes. Yeah. Somebody else said that. I don't know who that was. I got this, I read that somewhere that somebody like never, ever, ever under any circumstances should you ever buy anything from somebody who is standing in front of you at your door, mm. you know, including Girl Scout cookies, <laughs> you know, it's like never, uh, never say yes to anything when the person is standing right in front of you for the very first time. And that's it. It's like the Girl Scout you know, thank you for your offer. Um, I will sleep on it if I find that I still want uh, samosas. Samo what, are, what are the Samoas? Samoa? Samoas. Samoa? Yeah. <laughs> I, I do like a good samosa. Um, yeah. so <laughs> slightly different, but. Samoa, yeah. Or you got a whole Tagalogs or whatever they are, right? Um, Tagalogs. Uh, I don't know. What are you, these Girl Scout cookies? That's, I know. That's where I am. Thin mints. Thin mints. I feel like that one you should get right. <laughs> yeah, I don't like thin mints, though. Oh, I'm one of the five people on earth that doesn't like the Thin Mint. And oh. if I want some today, you know, I'll be able to go down to the grocery store tomorrow and they'll be camped out in front of the in front of the door trying to rope me in a little spice in them. But mm -hmm. yeah, never buy anything from anybody on your doorstep, you know. I think um, that's fair. Yeah. Because, I mean, we get uh, cable TV folks, we get cell phone people, we get, we get all kinds of stuff, people that come and buy all the time, despite the no soliciting sign up in the front of the driveway. 
you know, and trying to rope us into these kind of things, you know. Um, yeah. That's pretty interesting. So, yeah, I, I'm just getting back to this. If, if this is a, a new concept to someone, this, you mm-hmm. know, if it's not 100% yes, it's no. You know, some counter arguments could be, oh, my God, what? I mean, that's fine for Girl Scout cookies or um, timeshares. What about like my job? It's like I have this job and what they're asking me to do on the daily, you know, um, they're paying me, but I don't feel like it's 100 percent. Yes. And like if somebody asked me to do it for free, I'd sure as hell say no, mm-hmm. you know. Does that mean I'm doing it for the money? And what does that mean for me and my life choices? Well, I, so this is where I think I would say that we need to get a lot more honest about the fact that we are doing things for the money. Like, I think this is part of what's really problematic about rhetoric around teachers right now, right? Is we've, teachers have existed in this world where they've been basically bullied into doing things that are uncompensated, are above and beyond the call of a 40-hour-week job. Yeah, absolutely. But but historically, teachers are bullied into doing it because it's always, think of the children, right? And so think now... the good you're doing. It's a public service. It's a... Yeah. Right. And so now we're literally in a society that's asking teachers to risk their lives for the children. And it's like, no, it's still just a job. It's still just a job. It's a job. Um, um, so I don't. I, I think part of figuring out what's one hundred percent yes and what's not, part of it does coming to, come down to figuring out like what are we contractually obligated within our jobs to do. And I don't mean our job necessarily, but like anybody, any job, yeah, any could start with what what are you actually being paid to accomplish in your eight-hour workday, what's non-negotiable? And then what what are you doing that is extra? Mm-hmm. And I think it's that extra that we feel obligated to. Yeah, that's where the crowbar gets put in and leveraged against you is in that extra. Mm-hmm. You know. mm-hmm. I remember there was, um, you know, we have people not unlike salespeople that come to our doors, perhaps, but uh, when we were back on campus, um, you know, we often have textbook reps come by, um, and there are many of them who I love and I've worked with for years and years and years. They bring Um, us Panera box lunches. uh 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 (laughs) They feed us well, you know. And they're genuinely good people. But I remember uh, within the last year, one of them said to me, um, I wasn't serving on a particular committee to choose a new textbook. And this particular rep said to me, Sherry, you used to do so much, and now you do nothing. It's adorable you think that. Get all out of my office. But the reality is, I do a lot. But what I'm no longer saying yes to is working above and beyond my contract to put money in your pockets. Mm Mm-hmm. Sorry, that's uncomfortable for you. Yeah, what if? Here's a here's one. Here's a what if for us. Um, so teachers do this extraordinary thing, you know, for our children uh, in a riskier situation than it already was. Because I mean, what I'm what I'm seeing here that I'm I'm struck by is that you know professors and and teachers are hesitant to get back in the classroom in a lot of places because all of a sudden the classroom is dangerous. 
how much gun violence has there been in the classroom over the... I mean, I don't even want to start on that, but it's like these people have never considered your safety in any part of this. Why do you think they will now? You're surprised, you know, that all of a sudden they're, you know, they have no real passing interest in your safety. Where have they been for the last 15 years when school shootings have been through the roof? But that's a whole other conversation. It, yeah. But it's like, we're not, I mean, <laughs> like, God, don't even be started on that, you know? Because it's like, your safety has not really been high on the priority list of people trying to get you into a classroom. I don't know why you think it would be now. Um, but, you know, the the what if is, you know, so... What's being exploited here is your dedication to education and to the children and to the young adults and to the um, the idea of an informed electorate makes for a better, more informed society, which may or may not be true. I don't know. It's never been actually properly tested in America. Um, and uh, therefore, you are doing a noble, a truly noble thing by following your your true calling and and serving as a teacher mm-hmm. in whatever and you know even when it i mean it's it's i mean it was dangerous before with all the school shootings it's additionally dangerous now mm-hmm. uh with covid out there um and you may or may not feel a duty or an obligation to your own life mission not even those of your employer whoever that might be you know, to to satisfy this this um, this role in your life as as being a member of the professoriate or, or being a member of the of of the the teaching teaching class, so to speak, um, does that mean you should do it for less? I would say no. That means you should actually do it for more. Yeah, you yeah. Know, they can they can come up to you if it's meaningful to them. Yeah. Well, I mean, that I means think- you ask for more. Well, yeah. Not, not I mean, do it for less. That means you ask for more. I think the key thing there is that, like, you're focusing on the idea of life's work, right? And in order to fulfill your life's work, you have to have a life in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that I, I feel like it's taken me far too long to realize. And it's the reason I feel so good about the 100% or no thing now is because... I really believe I will be a better teacher this fall because I say no to more things now. Mm -hmm. I believe I will be a better teacher. The more, the more aggressively I take care of myself, the more present I can be for my students. Mm -hmm. And I 100% believe that. And so far, like the more I pull back, like the more I, ask like do i have to do this can someone else do this you know for the longest time i used to complain about how within institutions not necessarily like our our institution but like every institution i've ever looked at carefully i used to always complain that 20 percent of the people are doing 80 percent of the work yeah and that's because 20 percent of the people keep saying yes yes so if the 20% said no 80% of the time, some other folks are going to have to step up. Other folks are going to have to step up. Right? So, 
I, that, I mean, that's just kind of where I'm at now. And the more I say no to, despite the fact that I want to believe in a mythos where I am just so lovely and beautifully creative and talented that the world needs me, the world needs all of us, actually. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So. It's time for other ideas. It's time for other people to just kind of have an opportunity to step into this. And right. yeah. you know what? I'm going to let somebody else take this one. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. You know? Exactly. Um, yeah. Yes. So, yeah. So what is the, what is the, the thing here? How do you get started with this? You know, um, if this is blowing your mind, it's like, oh my God, Sherry, are you saying that if something is 90% yes and 10% no, I should say no? The answer yes. is yes. You should say no. Yeah. Um, not to should people, but you might consider, I guess I should say, you, you might consider Here's saying an no experiment. to that and saying if you live through it, you know. Uh, well, and and I would say that it is a useful experiment to see what happens when you say no. Um, I think for a long time, I hadn't said no enough to know what happened when you say no. Mm -hmm. um, and I think part of what is at the root of this, and it's kind of a tricky thing to talk about in some ways, um, but when, when I was saying yes to everything that was asked of me, part of what was happening to me psychologically is that I felt everyone else in the world was entitled to me except for me. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I keep coming back to in my morning pages and basically like every time I'm reflecting is that no one else in the world is actually entitled to me. Mm -hmm. um, and I am not on this planet for anyone else's comfort. And so if you lead with that, somehow saying no is, I mean, it's cliche, people say this all the time, but every no that I say is a yes to me. Yeah. And that's yeah, a big that's a good point. win for me. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, a, a, no to, a no to someone is a yes to yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so I yes, mean, if, you'll go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, yesterday I said no to two things. One, like, one kind of a small thing, one a bigger thing. Um, but somehow saying no to a bigger thing made the, the smaller things seem easy. Mm. Um, and they start to, like, once you get a few off, you start getting good at it, I think. Yeah, I, I took the night with something. I Somebody asked me something yesterday, and I did sleep on it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I think it's a yes. I kind of want to do it, but I actually am going to sleep on it. And I woke up this morning. It's like, yeah, I should say yes to this. And this this is a yes. So I said mm -hmm. yes. to so It's an easy something. I'm, I'm leading a discussion group tomorrow night. Sorry, Thursday night for a, a meditation group that needs somebody to just to lead the discussion and run the Zoom. And I was like, yeah, it's cool. I, lo I love the group. I like the mission. It feels good. I'm, I'm going to yes on this. Yeah. Well, I regret. Th no, it's good. No, it's it's cool. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. I can I can say yes to this. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. But a slow yes is still a yes. Yeah, it was still sleep on it. Yes, like, like, you know what? I'm sleeping on it. I'm sleeping yeah. on it. You know. Um, and I got the email on, I don't know, Sunday, you know, maybe Monday morning. It's like, I think I'm going to ask a couple, I'm going to respond. I'm going to ask a couple of questions, see what they say, you know, half stalling, but being engaged, half really just getting some answers to some questions. Mm 
mm-hmm. seeing what comes back. I know the people. Yeah. I know the group. It's yeah, okay. You know, yeah, I can I can say yes to this. Um and it's 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 a good yes. Yeah, like I feel no resistance to it. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's it's a yes. But there are other things it's like there's some pretty big decisions that I've come to lately myself where it's like I'm done. Yeah. I'm done saying yes to this. It's time to do some other stuff. Yeah. It's a big part of my identity and something else is going to be a big part of my identity when it's over and it's just time to, I got to set this thing down and I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no to it and start start easy and then work your way up to the hard stuff. You don't have to quit your job today, you know. Um, you also don't have to be a jerk uh, with, with stuff, you yeah. know. Um, you know, if your kid asks you to tuck, 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 tuck them in, I don't know. Probably yes is not a bad thing to say. <laughs> no, because you know I will regret this later. Um, I'm, I'm at eighty percent on this. Sorry, no, kid. I don't know, kid. Right, I'm at eighty percent. I'm not quite at yes yet. Can you convince me? Or you know, maybe yeah. you're just gonna have to tuck, tuck yourself in. Um, yeah, it's interesting, and this the sense of obligation, the sense of duty, and what it means to be useful, and trying to feel valued, and your own self doubt playing into that, and getting validation from others, and this whole sociological mishmash of gunk sort of gets thrown into why you're saying yes to all these things to begin with, and that's a little bit of a different conversation, but not not a bad one to, to enter into. Why do people say yes to all of these things all the time? That was the other question I wrote down <laughs> in my notebook. <laughs> Two minds, one thought. Two yeah, minds, one thought. Beautiful. Did yeah. you write the answer or did you just ask the que- write the question? Oh, I only write questions before <laughs> the podcast. Read our show notes, as sparse as they are. All they are is questions, right? All they are is questions. Well, I do, Sherry and Paul. Questions are my love language. We've covered this. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's really interesting to look at. And maybe like if somebody is trying to figure out how they can live this 100% or no. Um, if they're not capable of just jumping right in with the nose, I think the next best thing would be to be, to get curious about your yeses. So if you are saying yes, why? Um, Mm -hmm. and I think when you look at that, yeah, why do people say yes? Um, they say yes because they don't want to let other people down. They say, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, why is that though? I mean, what's so what's so darn important about not letting other people down? Hmm. I oh, that's this is one of those places where I think I realize how differently you and I have lived life. We're like, of course, Paul. Like. You're just like, whatever, I'll let some people down. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not great at saying no either. I'm not, I'm not good at saying no either. I do feel a compulsion to not let other people down. You know, I do get validation okay. from other people, yeah. from saying yes to people and feeling valued and integrated or whatever, you know? Um, yeah. Saying no to things still feels risky to me. Yeah. Even though it's not in many cases. So it's like, I don't think we're that different with that. Well... I think, and this goes back to the conversation we had last podcast where I was talking about that invisible army. Yeah. A lot of times when I'm faced with a no, the conversation in my head about the stories I tell myself, right, about what the other person will say or do or think 
when I say no, are really the motivating factor. And actually, the way the other person responds when I actually say no versus the story I tell are very different. Yeah, and, you know, developing a sense of empathy for other people, when somebody's asking you for something, they're probably asking you because it's the ask that is the most comfortable one for them on their check down of who they could ask. Mm-hmm. And for you to say no is going to increase the discomfort level of the other person as they have to find someone else. And you don't want people to suffer any more than they should have to. So you'll say yes as an act of compassion against them you know, or for them rather than saying no and making their more life more uncomfortable. However, that comes at the cost where mm-hmm. however uncomfortable you're making your life, you're making your own more so. More yeah. So. From that, yeah. with discomfort anyway. Maybe they need to reevaluate their priorities and all what they're asking for anyway. Well, I mean, and this comes back to my life lesson of I'm not on this earth for other people's comfort, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah, why totally, is totally why is someone else's temporary comfort more important than my long term discomfort? No idea. They're not going to have I've... to do what, you, what they ask you to do, right? They're off the hook. You that, know? In fact, that's exactly why they're asking us. Yeah, right? that's why exactly. So they can be off the hook. Yeah, yeah. You know, the other thing I find useful with thinking about no's um, is I kind of keep a mental log. And I'm now that I'm saying this, I'm thinking maybe I should keep an actual log. Write so, it down? Like write it down? What? Yeah, but specifically of gold star no's. Hmm. So every now and then I will ask somebody to do something and they will say no to me in a way where I just want to stand up and applaud. Um, and there are two, two particular people that I'm thinking of right now, um, maybe three, who in the last year or so, I've invited them to do something, maybe it's something professional, maybe it's something personally, and they have written amazing no's. Um, and so a lot of times I will channel those people when I am tasked with having to say no to something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's like having fine examples of of good humans who I love who have said an artful no to me. Because it's a reminder, like, this person said no to me and I admire them more for it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that the example that I was citing to you earlier was not a fine person. It was a vampire from Interview with a Vampire when Lewis <laughs> told Ormond, <laughs> you must regrettably decline, <laughs> And it's like, see, vampires do it, no problem. You know, why you know, why can't you do it too? You know. But it's a gr- that's a it's great elegant gold no. star it's model. Elegant, yeah, it's an elegant no, you know. Yeah. The art of no. I kinda want that um we should get one of our listeners is newly into cross stitch. I should oh, get yeah, yeah. I would like that cr- cross stitched on like a wall that I can like. Yeah, that's here. a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Artful no's. An mm-hmm. Artful no. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, practice practice saying no, I guess, you know. Yeah. Um you had a thing, didn't you? Right? For every ten you you gave yourself a pizza party? Yeah, Isn't my, that a, what, my what friend, was that? Yeah, my friend Darcy made that. I can't take credit for it, but she sent it to me. Um yeah, so every no or you collect them and if you get ten, you get a pizza party. You know, 
I think I'm due for a pizza party right now. It sounds like you are. You've had a yeah. couple of accounts for two. Oh. Um, so I feel you like do? every... So, yeah, so like you write them down, things you said no to, and when you hit 10, you get a... You get a pizza party. And if you say yes, you are punished with having to do the thing you said yes to. Yeah, right. It's like you don't scratch one off for a yes. You actually have to do the damn thing. Yeah, yes. that's, punishment that's punishment alone. Yeah. That's punishment you know, alone. we've talked a lot about no's in this podcast, but I don't think we've talked very much about enthusiastic yeses. And I mm-hmm. think we should make some space for that, too. Because yeah. it feels like all we're doing is just, like, Paul and I are a couple of curmudgeons just, yeah, just belabored no by all the people yeah. asking us to do things. God, quit asking us for stuff. Oh, so hard being us. Um, but I do think that the more I say no, the more... I'm able to identify, like, the stuff that really is an enthusiastic yes for me. So, Paul, what are you an enthusiastic yes for? What am I an enthusiastic yes for? Sleep. Mm Mm-hmm. Sleep. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And I I guess that's another rule I don't talk about too often just because it's so baked in. Um, Never compromise on sleep. Yeah. You know, so things that... Things that, uh, well, this is sort of, I'm transitioning back into no speak, but I mean, things that take away from that are hard no's. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, no, I'm out of hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, that's the, what you were talking about before. It's like, I'm saying no to things that come into that because I'm an enthusiastic yes on the value of getting a good night's sleep. Yeah. Um, just because I know how I feel when I don't. Mm-hmm. Lesson learned. Mm-hmm. I'm a yes on um, maintaining commitments to the people who I've uh, decided are important to me. Mm-hmm. And I use the word decided intentionally. Right. Because um, when you say no to things, it isn't always through a question. Sometimes it is people. And when you say yes to things, sometimes that is people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, I've said yes to some people. And I've said no to some people and uh, who just want time, who just want ear, who just want words, who just want something. I'm not sure what. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is, uh, I've been enthusiastic, yes, with, uh, oh man, I'm telling people the secret sauce here. I probably shouldn't even say this. Here's the good stuff, folks. Mm-hmm. Um, who are the people that I say yes to? Right. Um, and the, I have a rule in, in place. I have a, a, a man, I have more rules I put on myself than I thought I did. Because um, there's people I'm close to and there's people who I like and there's blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's not nothing. That, that's nothing new to anyone and that's nothing mm-hmm. that anybody doesn't do. Friends so I don't versus feel like friendly. I'm being, yeah, blah, yeah, blah, yeah, 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 yeah. I have 616 Facebook friends. Really? 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 Oh, I have more you than know, you. It's really? You know, well, you must be a better person than I should. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm in the 700s. You need yeah. to learn how to say no, Sherry. Um, Apparently. And uh, so it's like, what's the, so um, what's the, what's the secret? How do you get how do you get to be a, a firm yes with Paul, right? How do you how do you get in the people that are like family to me, either born into or chosen family to me, who are have a special place in my heart that is un that is not negotiable, or the people who share with me not only their struggles but also more importantly their own victories. You know, people come to you all the time um, when shit goes south. 
and they're looking for an ear or they're looking for advice or they're looking for kind words or whatever it is. And that's great. And I appreciate that. You know, everybody looks for a relief from suffering. And if nothing more than somebody who, you know, can listen, you know, kindly and compassionately and mindfully is always a good thing. And a lot of time that's all that's the only thing people need. When people share their victories with you, though, hey, this great things happens and I want to share it with somebody. Mm-hmm. Who you share that with? Those are the, when you're yeah. suffering, you'll ask for help from anybody. Yeah. What, ha- what about when you get a win? You know, what happens when things are going well? Who do you share that with? Those people are your family and those people are the ones that are, you have in your heart. And those are the people that you put in your heart. So that's sort of my secret rule um, that no one knows. So if you're Except, listening, if you're no. listening, don't tell anyone, right? <laughs> But, you know, I see, you know, we get, you and I are the same. I mean, we get 100, 150 kids a year, you know, and at least that we meet. You know, some of those, the vast majority have gone off into the wilderness and they're doing their thing and that's great. Yet some still sort of linger on and they, you maintain some sort of contact with them in one way or another. And some get closer than others. Who are the close ones? It's like, well, they, they just send me an email or a text or whatever it might be. They tell me when something good happens. It's like, well, if they want to share their successes with me, clearly I must have some place in their heart. Mm-hmm. So who am I to say no to the alternative, which makes them a, a firm yes to me. Yeah. A firm yes, you know. Yeah. If I mean enough to them for them to share their wins. Mm-hmm. People people share their losses. People like to bitch. People will share their losses with anybody. Who do you share your wins with? Those are your yeah. yeses. When something great happens, who do you tell? Those yeah. are your yes people. Those are your 100% yeses. Who do I, something awesome happened, who do I want to tell? And it's a handful. Uh-huh. It's a handful. Yeah. yeah. It's a handful. And asking for a recommendation letter is not it. That is not. <laughs> hey, good news. I'm applying to med school. Can I ever? No, that's not. That's not it. You know, that's not crap. A, I just asked Paul for a letter. Crap. Yeah, that is not a. That is not a. Oh, no. of course, you already. Yeah. Um, that I mean, that's not it. I mean, it's uh, you know, hey, I just got this great job. Hey, I just you know, um, or when they randomly send you a happy birthday on your birthday. You know, it's like oh, cool, awesome. You know, they cross my mind on a good day, not on a bad day. It's like when people cross your mind on a good day. Mm-hmm. That's for me. Yeah, I agree with like, who do you who do you share the good stuff with? Who are your people? I also for me, the other part of that is who do you share the mundane with? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Because, you know, like how many people in the world really want to hear like the mundane stuff of an individual human's life right yeah um and most people like i mean i could talk to just about anyone all day um but the number of people that i choose to share the mundane with that the Mm day-to-day and who i am excited to learn the mundane from like, those are the people I know I'm 100% in. Yeah. Um, there's a friend of mine who has been receiving sort of mundane texts from a person um, in their life who they don't know exceptionally well. 
and they are very resentful of them. Like, it's just kind of like this, why do you, why does this person keep sending this, this random detail? And I think you have to be 100% in for a person before you want to receive just... Why are they so, texting me? Why do I, why do they think I care whether or not, yeah, they, like, whether or not they bought gas today? Why do yeah. You know? So you know you're 100% for a person where the, when they send you the, so I'm headed off to Safeway, and you're like, yeah. cool, what are you going to awesome. get? Yeah, what's, up? what's for dinner? Yeah, nice. yeah. Tell me what the yeah. sales are. You know? Yeah, like, even that, like, what's for dinner? How many people do you ask that question of? Like, how many people do you really want to know? So what are you making for dinner? Like, it's... It's a it's a small I, thing, but I think it's an interesting like signal. Yeah, when I think about that, it's like part of me wants to do that. Just like after we're done here, I'll like, grab my phone and like text ten people and say, "Hey, what's for dinner?" You know, and see <laughs> why the hell are you asking? You know, I, I I actually might do that and send a I might make a blog post out of that, right? And and say what the responses are to that names yeah. removed to protect the unknowing uh, with that. But that's interesting. So do yeah. that, right? Take the the last the first the last ten people that you texted with, send them a text. So what's for dinner? Mm-hmm. See what you get back. Or look Wouldn't at the last that be ten people. Interesting. You yeah. want to sort? You want to sort the last ten? Because I mean, the people that you sent the last ten texts to are probably people that you think are on your list or they're on your list. Um, you want to test that? Send them a text saying, "Hey, what's for dinner?" And we'll probably have a number of people who are going to get a text from me tonight saying, hey, what's for dinner tonight? And then in a week or two, they're going to listen to this podcast and they're going to say, oh, that's why you did that. That's why you, this was a test. <laughs> yeah. And if they listen to the podcast, they probably replied and say, why we're having lasagna? What are you having tonight? Right? And if they uh-huh. reply, why the hell are you asking me? They probably don't listen to the podcast anyway. So I think it's pretty safe. I think it's a safe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the other part of it is even just looking for me like looking back at you know maybe like using your 10 texts like how many people in an average day how many people would i want to receive that information from i mean, one of the things that i am really noticing in covid life is how much more intentional i have to be about friendship versus friendliness yeah that's a when you, nuanced when you, difference that is a it nuanced is. difference yeah, um, and one of my good friends pointed that distinction out to me um, a couple of months ago, and it's really stayed with me. Because I think when we're face-to-face more often, you can invest a lot more in friendliness, right? You could, yeah. you could walk yeah. into an office on our campus or at anybody's job where five people are hanging out and say, hey guys, what are you all planning on making for dinner? Because I have no clue. And you could share ideas and you could be invested in that. But because we're socially distanced right now, it takes emotional labor to care about what all these people are having for dinner. Yeah, it does. Right? And I have over 700 friends on Facebook. I am not available to hear all 700's dinner plans. But that's kind of what social media is, right? It is. Um, Yeah, it is. So who you reach out to beyond the social media and still care what they're having for dinner. I think that's. Yeah. I wonder if this is platform dependent, right? Um, Cause I mean, mm-hmm. you could do that on Facebook. Just kind of put a, put a, put a message up. Hey folks, what's for dinner? Give it a day. See who replies. You know, those are your, <laughs> see who's <laughs> muted you. Right. And see who, uh, 
So I'll post on social media uh, on Facebook and ask what's for dinner and see what I get. You text yeah, I will 10 too. people. Yeah, yeah. I'll, do, and then, I'll do the uh, Facebook thing too. I'm curious. And then we'll, we'll report out. We'll report out. Perfect. Maybe I should text the last 10 people uh, too. We'll Why both not? do both, yeah. Let's so. do both. And then like. <laughs> so the downside is that you might find out some things that you don't necessarily want to know, right, in, in this. You know, your, <laughs> your BFF from college is like, why the hell are you texting me? And why, why do you care? You know, it's like, what are we having for dinner? Well, if it's the last 10 people you texted. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like a pretty safe thing, you know. Well, um, what's really interesting is I don't text my husband very often at all. Like, we, well, we use WhatsApp, so it depends on whether we're... <laughs> I actually only use WhatsApp for you and him. Like, skip, it's, peop, skip skip people that you're living with currently, right? right? Yeah. It's well, dumb... but that's the only person who it might actually be normal to ask. Yeah, What's that's true. Dinner? That's true, right? I don't know if there's there's true information there, though. I actually ask that question on a somewhat regular basis to most, a fair number of my closest friends, actually. Hey, what's for dinner? Yeah. Because we're all foodies. You know, yeah. like, odds are, like, odds are whatever you're cooking tonight's interesting. Yeah, you, that's true. sir, Paul. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Well, you're going to be cracking out the Anthony Bourdain Lael cookbook and you're going to be making something on page 215. You know. That's a good cookbook. I have it myself. But page maybe don't 215. Let's go see what's on that. Yeah, okay, that I'm came to me. So we'll see this. what it is. Um, yeah. But yeah, I have that cookbook too. Um, and you don't crack it out often because uh, that's a day and a shopping trip. You know, when you're going to when you get into that. But like when you're working through something, it, I mean, there's something meditative. Um that book and there's uh, Ruth Rochelle, uh, My Year of Cooking, I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, those were magic for me. Well, what was that? What was that movie? The uh, uh, the one where uh, Julia and Julia Amy Adams? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, That's basically that. yeah. She's cooking through shit, you know. Cooking through that book, yeah. That yeah. was a good movie. That's it was an I okay feel... movie. I didn't like the boyfriend, but yeah, that's how it goes. I mean, that's. It's one of the ways I feel like my I know that my husband knows me um, is that, you know, when I go, when I hit periods of depression, which, you know, happen from time to time in to my everyone. life. To everyone. Right? <laughs> to everyone. Um, yeah. Like, the way that he shows me that he sees me is suddenly a new cookbook arrives. Yeah. And he's like, here. Here. Have this. And, here. you know, it's great for him because, one, his wife moves through her depression and two he gets to eat some amazing yeah right god because i'm not the worst cook yeah that's so that's so interesting yeah my problem with coca vin is that i always end up drinking the wines like ah do i want to cook with this or should i just because you know the rule is never cook with a wine that you wouldn't drink oh it's like well if i if i would drink it why the hell would i cook with it if i can just roast the chicken and drink the wine but yeah i appreciate that but well, the key is Coke to buy two bottles, thing. one for the bird and one for you. Right. Yeah. And Coke Event's supposed to be an old, scraggly, worn-out chicken anyway. It's not supposed to be one of these ridiculous six-month-old, you know, hormone-injected things you get at the store these days. Well, anyway. that's... It's supposed yeah. to be an old, mean, scraggly rooster that had its day. Well, that's... I mean, that whole Which is what the book. recipe's for. Yeah, which is what the recipe's... That's what old French cooking is. Yeah. It's like, how do you eat these tough, ragged, you know, pieces of meat? Yeah. That's well, it's kind of like, that's, the I mean, that's, that's like the French cooking. I mean, in general, like what yeah, we call French, French toast, right, is lost bread. Uh, yeah, this stale, bread stale is bread. so I got, I, got, I got stale bread and some eggs. Which what do I do with it? I make it delicious. 
They get delicious. Yeah. Drown this chicken in some wine. Some booze and uh, roast it for a couple hours and uh, that'll loosen it up. Beef on a string. I did that one from that cookbook. I have not done that one. Uh, it's, It's delicious. Yeah, French cooking is like, how long do I have to cook this thing before I can actually chew it and swallow it? Yeah. You know? And what can I put it in to loosen up those And fibers? exactly how much butter yeah. is it going to swim in? All of it. Yeah. yeah. You know, French cooking is something I'm 100% on. <laughs> I think that's what we're finding out here. It is good. It is good. Yeah, it is good. It yeah. Is good. Awesome. I might have to make some cocoa men again. 100% yes. Do it. Uh, do it. Do it. Do it. Except do it. I'm not 100% yes on the cocoa vin this week because it is hot as hell. And that's not when you roast a chicken. It is hot. Yeah. Sleep on it. Sleep on it. Um, uh-huh. See when it comes to you. See if you're yes tomorrow and then make a decision. Yeah. A lot of will depend on the weather forecast. Yeah. So what do you think, folks? How do you find whether or not you are 100% yes or, or not? So I feel it in my body. It's like, and I, I like Sherry's guideline here of uh sleep on it don't Uh just hang on if it's yes today it'll be yes if it really is yes it'll be yes tomorrow you know if it's no now it ain't gonna be no it ain't gonna be yes tomorrow right fast Um, no slow yes fast no slow yes i like that a lot yeah cool cool thanks paul thank you sherry what a delight to be recording once again it's been a little bit it's been a little bit reunited and it feels so good still got it and our podcast can now drink it is officially 21 yes right we released this our 21st this is 22 yeah so 21 yeah. is up right you'll Woo. have already listened to that hopefully before you listen to this one but you know you don't yeah. have to do these things in order no. but uh what a milestone yeah cool look at us awesome. cool paul thanks sherry let's talk soon thanks paul i'm sure we will Indeed. and that is a 100 yes one hundred percent cool. Paul and Sherry have a podcast. Yes. Yes. See ya, Sherry. See ya. Bye. Bye. Paul and Sherry have a Paul podcast. And Sherry have a podcast. Yes. yes.